This is CSW's Free to Believe podcast. Christian Solidarity Worldwide stands with those facing injustice because of their religion or belief and advocates to defend, protect, and restore religious freedom worldwide. As the world tackles ever-worsening inequalities and rights violations, CSW's advocacy for the right to religious freedom is needed now more than ever. I'm Darren Edwell-Palker, a pastor and president of CSW USA, and with me today is Mervyn Thomas. Merv is the founder president of CSW. For the past 43 years, Mervyn has traveled widely to countries where Christians and other religious minorities suffer persecution because of their faith. He's an internationally known inspirational speaker speaking out on behalf of persecuted minorities. Mervyn chairs the UK Freedom of Religion or Belief, or FORB, forum, and works closely with the UK Prime Minister's Special Envoy for FORB. He's also a member of the panel of experts advising the International Religion of Freedom of Belief Alliance, an intergovernmental group of over 40 countries. Mervyn is an ordained Assemblies of God minister and lives in the UK, in Surrey, and is married to Wendy. They have two children and one grandchild. So Mervyn Thomas, welcome to our very first Free to Believe podcast. We're so excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks, Darren. I'm very excited to be here. I'm very excited about this series of podcasts that we're going to be doing. I'm uh, privileged to be on the first one. Yeah, and grateful for the technology that allows us to connect from Casper, Wyoming, all the way out to Surrey in the UK. So Merv, tell us, uh, what is CSW all about? Okay, uh, Dan. I mean, you've kind of <clears throat> you kind of did it in your introduction when you described what CSW is. But what what we are we are a Christian um, uh, Christian advocacy organisation specialising in freedom of religion or belief. Um, as and freedom of religion or belief is um, uh, uh, that um, right that is enshrined in Article eighteen. Of the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights. So we um, we advocate in the British Parliament. We advocate on Capitol Hill. Um, we do it in the European Union and, and in many other um, the United Nations. We have status at the United Nations. So we we provide a voice for people that have no voice in those places. We raise awareness, um, which we hope will lead to action. Um, by legislators around the world. And we, um, you know, we, every report that we ever do, every, every, everything that we ever put out about the situation in a particular country, and we focus on around 30 countries, but every report has recommendations for action. You know, we're not just about telling what's happening. We're about saying this is what needs to be done to address uh, the situation. That's great. So that's basically who we are. Yeah. So how did it get started? You've been the founder of CSW and, and president. So what's the origin story of CSW? Well, okay. So we go back right back to the end of 1978, actually, beginning of 79. Um, I, was, I was doing a bit of work in the British Parliament. That was not my job, but I used to go up a couple of evenings a week and work for a member of parliament. And we, we heard about persecution of Christians in Eastern Europe. In other words, the old Soviet Union, the Soviet bloc behind the Iron Curtain. 
And in fact, in those days, um, that was about the only persecution we heard about in the churches. Um, my friend David, the Member of Parliament, <clears throat> said to me, Let, let's set up an organisation here, shall we, to, um, uh, to speak out about this. So um, I kind of, I have to, if I'm honest, Darren, I, I wasn't, I only did it as a favour to him. Mm. Um, I, I can't, if I'm absolutely honest, I can't say I had a, a immediate conversion and burden for the persecuted church because actually I didn't know anything about the mm. persecuted church. So I said yes, but I kind of felt, uh, well, in fact, I did feel um, the day that I said that to him, I, I God did show me that this organisation was going to become um, was going to become a worldwide organisation, um, was going to become a, a a voice for for what I thought was persecuted Christians, um, and that I was going to be I was going to be in the middle of it. It was going to be my life's work, and and so, but 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 still the burden didn't come. That didn't come till later, till I travelled to some of these countries, um, but but. If, I, if, if we cast our mind back to 1979 when we started, of course, <clears throat> communism was king all over all over Europe, all over Eastern Europe. And, um, and, and communists um, habitually persecuted Christians. And, uh, and, you know, it was Karl Marx, wasn't it, that said religion is the opium of mm. people. And, um, and so... Uh, we we didn't have any staff. I, I was I was chairman of the board. I had a, another job. In fact, I was heading up Sweet and Low in this country, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> a good old American product. And um, <clears throat> so, um, but I, uh, you know, I remember um, I remember going into Parliament and trying to get MPs and and lords to to take on board this subject, and maybe. Two or three of them were interested, including the, the guy that I set this up with. But, but of course, and, and so because we didn't have any staff, wh where did we get our information from? We had to get them from other, and there was a, a very good organisation called Keston College, which mm. um, documented prisoners in Eastern Europe, just prisoners uh, who, were, who were, they were all Christians. So we used that information and campaigned. Um, but, of course, Ten years later, in 19, 1989, communism fell all over Europe. And suddenly, overnight, those Christians um, that were being persecuted, that were imprisoned, all of that changed. And uh, we had to, in fact, I remember some of our supporters, and, you know, by that time we built up a good support base around the churches. Some of our supporters wrote to us and said, well, there's no need for CSW mm. anymore. And, uh, you know, we had to stop and think, well, is that the case? It might be. Um, and, um, uh, of course, as we looked around the rest of the world, we saw suddenly, and nobody was working on this, we saw Christians being persecuted in, 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 in other communist countries, but also in Islamic countries um, and other, other parts of the world where people are persecuted for being Christians. So, so of course, we decided to carry on. And it was while uh, we were working in Burma, actually, or, or Myanmar, that one of my, well, by this time we'd got, you know, more members of staff, maybe seven or eight members of staff. Our, our person that was working in, in Myanmar came to me and said, look, uh, you know, I've just come back from that country and there's, um, 
we are speaking up for all these Christian groups that are being persecuted, like the um, the Karen and the Kareni and other ethnic groups who are Christian. But there's a there's a group out there are just as persecuted, but they're Muslims. You know, what should we do about it? That that's that of course we know today as the Rohingya Muslims. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody had heard of them then. And um, I have to say that my my initial reaction was, yeah, well, of course we do. But my second thought was, oh, how are my evangelical Christians going to take right. this? Sure. You know, um, are they going to understand that? Um, and perhaps we'll talk a bit later about how we did move and how we looked at the Bible to see what the Bible had to say about mm. it. But we did change and we did um, begin then to speak out for people of all faiths and none. And that's that's the journey we've been on. And, and you know, it's it's um, uh, there are according to the Pew Foundation based in America who do statistics on on freedom of religion or belief. Eighty four percent. I repeat that, Darren, 84 percent of the world's population live in countries with high or very high levels of restrictions on uh, on uh, freedom of religion or belief. That's staggering. Most of the world living doesn't mean to say that those 84 percent of people in the world are all persecuted, but it does mean that they live in countries where there are restrictions mm. on, on, on religious freedom. So, you know, that's the extent of the situation. So that's, that's, that's our journey. That's my journey. Um, and, um, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a long, hard haul, but sure. it's, uh, it's worthwhile. And I remember, Merv, we were in D.C. together a couple of years ago. Actually, we were there February 2020, uh, just a couple of weeks away from something that the world would come to know as COVID-19. Uh, and, yeah. and we had no idea. Uh, but we were there talking. And I remember one of the things you said struck me. You said that freedom of religion of religion or belief is sort of the proverbial canary in the coal mine. And one of the reasons why it's so important is that when that freedom goes, so many others go along with it. So can you speak to that a little bit about the importance of the issue yeah. of Forbes as it relates to sort of um, human rights more generally? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's absolutely right. And, and I have used that expression about the canary in the mind. It is absolutely true. If, 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 religion, if freedom of religion or belief is not respected, then most other human rights are not respected too, and uh, and, and you know it, and, and it, what, what what we need to understand and what the world needs to understand and particularly when I say the world you know let me uh, something that bothers me is that we in the West and I'm talking about Western Europe I'm talking about the US and Canada um, you know we don't kind of get the fact that probably, and nobody knows any actual statistics, but probably 85 to 90% of the world are deeply religious. Mm-hmm. Not Christian, deeply religious. Mm-hmm. Some, many of those are Christians, the biggest number of Christians, uh, but they are deeply religious. And we, certainly we here in Western Europe and, and in England, we don't get that. And we so we think, in fact, I remember, uh, and it's happened more than once, but I remember a um, a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, I was at an event with my wife. Uh, she um, used to work for Virgin Care, Richard Branson's organisation, and, and and one of the CEOs of his organisation said to me, "So, what do you do?" And you know, I never need asking twice, and I launch into it. and And he, he looked at me and he said, and he was a very 
you know, a very intelligent man. He said, well, isn't, aren't, isn't religion uh, the cause of all the problems mm. in the world? And this is the narrative that we need to change because no religion isn't the cause of all the problems in the world, but the lack of religious freedom mm -hmm. is the cause of, of, you know, if we can change the narrative from religion is the cause of all the problems to freedom of religion is part of the solution to the world. And there are so many benefits from religious freedom where you've got religious freedom because people who are religious, of course, Darren, you know, it impacts the way they live. It impacts who they marry. Mm -hmm. It impacts their investments. It impacts um, uh, their jobs. It impacts so much. And so when you've got, when people are allowed to express um, their religious faith and what they believe, um, you know, it brings about it, it brings about economic economic growth. Actually, it brings about peace and re and, and reconciliation and uh, uh, you know prosperity, economic prosperity. So it's so it's, it's a foundation, and so part of the part of the solution is actually, particularly in the West, is educating. Mm -hmm people to understand not to understand if you're not to understand like comparative religions but to understand how important freedom of religion is and it's hugely important and that to me speaks to for the for those that may have been following these issues for a number of years a lot of the language that we've used and perhaps particularly here in the u.s maybe the uk and other places is language around the persecuted church and, and that certainly is crucial, but what I'm hearing you say is you're broadening the concern for freedom of religious belief for all, because in that environment, people have the chance to choose, and then, and then that goes along with a whole host of yeah. other um, yeah. freedoms and, and practices. Yeah, let's unpack that a bit. I mean, I, I mentioned earlier when we changed, when I was a, when I was a little bit concerned about what our evangelical um, database and, and supporters would think about this. So many people quote that verse, Galatians 6, verse 10, that says, do good to all, but especially to the household believers or the household of faith, or whatever version you're reading. Um, and so many Christians pick out the second part of that verse, but ignore the first mm, part. Right. The first part says, do good to all. Right. And, you know, without going into a huge um, theological Bible study, um, you know, a lot of places in the, in the Old Testament, for example, talks about that we should look after the foreigner and the alien. Um, and, and, of course, when Jesus was asked the question, uh, uh, who is my neighbour? What was his answer? You know, the, the, the man who came to ask him that question was hoping that Jesus was going to give him a list of a few people that were his neighbour. Instead, Jesus said, well, everybody's your neighbour, not just everybody your neighbour, but the story he then went on to tell was about this guy who we don't like, who we don't get along with, this Samaritan. Mm. Um, he's your neighbour. And, uh, and so, you know, it's, it's really, really important from a, as Christians, that we do speak out for those and, and, and Christians take a lot of, and, and, you know, as I said, a lot of, I was really worried about telling our supporters this because I thought they're just not going to get it. They're going to think we're some kind of liberal syncretist organization, 
trust me, we're not. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God the Father. I'm a, I'm I'm a true believer, but it's that belief that that actually energizes and motivates me to do what I do. We're all made in the image of God, and God gave every one of us a free will. That's why we were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, because God gave us, he allowed us to exercise our own free will. And But but God is a God of justice. And, uh, and you know, it says in Proverbs 31 that we just speak up for those who are, it doesn't say speak up for Christians, it doesn't say speak mm. up for God's covenant people, speak up for those who haven't got a voice. And so it's absolutely key that as Christians, now some people will say, well, yes, but Christians are the most persecuted people in the world, which they almost certainly are. And of course we speak up for Christians. Of course we do. But actually what we have to recognise, apart from that um, biblical <clears throat> injunction to do that, that I've just talked about, uh, there's also a very sensible and practical, you know, whenever if we speak up for people of other faiths and none who are being persecuted, you know, it's such a powerful testimony. Mm. And, and, and it's also, you know, particularly when you're before politicians, Darren, you know, it's, it's after, oh, yeah, you're only interested, you're only interested in your own kind, you're only interested in, in Christians. And yes, we are interested in Christians, but we're interested in everybody, because if we get freedom of religion or belief for, uh, for other faiths, we'll get it for Christians too. And, you know, it's true to say, I think, that wherever, um, wherever, um, religious a religious minority is persecuted uh, Christians will be persecuted too mm. or wherever Christians are persecuted sure. some other religion will be too yep. so in India you've got Muslims and Christians who are uh, who are badly treated and persecuted and attacked in in Pakistan you've got Christians and Hindus uh, that are and so you know but it is it's an incredible testimony when we speak up for those that are in some cases, persecuting us, um, and and it's it's a message that is. I must admit, despite my fear of what my supporters might feel, um, I I don't get any pushback mm. in the UK anymore when I speak in churches. They get it, but we've had to teach them that. We've had to unpack that, uh, but they do get it now, and uh, and that's very exciting because it it makes us much more. Um, yeah, it, it gives us more credibility when we're speaking in advocacy arenas. That's great. So over the course of your more than four decades of work at CSW, can you give us some, some highlights, some stories that sort of show the impact that CSW has had over the years? Yeah, I think, I, I think, Dan, I've been thinking about this. I, I think, um, First of all, let me reiterate that um, our successes are not usually achieved overnight. And very often our successes are small steps. But when I sit here and look back over the past 43 years, as I said to you earlier, there were two or three members of parliament in Britain that were interested in this. Today, 43 years on, we've got an all-party parliamentary group. That's a group of members of parliament members of both houses of parliament from all parties um we've got a, a, a freedom of religion or belief all party parliamentary group that numbers over 150 members of parliament that's success we um we 
there is more awareness in the world of in the political world today of the issues around freedom of religion or belief than there has ever been in my lifetime. However, however, um, how has that come about? Well, let me let me give you an example. In 1985, and I talked to you earlier about I didn't really get a burden until I travelled to the first mm. country that I travelled to was Romania, and if, if you if you if you lived long enough to remember Romania in the 80s. It was controlled by Nicolae Ceausescu, who was... The, the Romania was a very similar to today's North Korea, the difference being that Romania didn't have nuclear weapons. And a very, very controlling... I mean, one in four people in Romania worked for the secret secret police, the Curitate. Um, it was very, very heavily... Um, Christians were very heavily persecuted. Well, in 1985, I took three American congressmen to to um, to Romania. One of them was um, was Congressman Chris Smith, who is still in Congress and still speaking out on these issues. One of them was Congressman Tony Hall, who went on to become the UN Food Ambassador, and the other one was Congressman Frank Wolf. And if you're involved in international religious freedom in any way, he's the kind of icon. For, uh, for religious freedom. Frank retired from Congress a few years ago, but he's still, he's now actually a commissioner at the US Commission on International Religious Freedom. But f- that impacted all of us so much that so- for the rest of our lives, we have been determined that we are going to do something about this problem. Frank Wolf came back to Congress and, uh, and together with Sam Brownback, who of course was the um, the ambassador at large for international religious freedom up until um, uh, up until or during the Trump administration, um, you know the two of them put through the International Religious Freedom Act of 1998, and that changed the whole um, landscape for freedom of religion or belief. Um, you know, it set up. Uh, that act set up the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, which reports to Congress, the State Department Office of International Religious Freedom, that reports to the President, and also the Ambassador at Large for International Religious Freedom. Now, that came out of people going to the country and seeing firsthand, and and now, and now since 1998, many other countries have got envoys or or um, ambassadors for freedom of religion or belief. I mentioned earlier this International Religious Freedom and Belief Alliance of 40 countries. All of that has grown out of what happened when we went to see, when we determined we were going to do something about it. And now, as I said, there's more awareness than there's ever been. But but um, the problem is still as bad, if not worse. So the... Uh, the thing, and this is what the, the alliance is focused on, is changing that awareness into action that's actually really going to make a difference. I'm more optimistic about the future of freedom of religion belief than I've ever been. But, but you know, Darren, that's taken 43 years. And, uh, and it, it took Wilberforce 40 years to abolish slavery. And uh, so we, we have to be, and, and when I'm talking to young people, you know, that's a message I'm always trying to get across because we're living in a world now. My son is, is 22 and he's growing up in a world where he gets instant solutions. He taps something in his phone and he's got, he's got the answer. He sends someone a message and if he hasn't got a message, he hasn't got a message back within five minutes, he wonders what's wrong. 
we're not when it comes to campaigning for this issue that's not going to happen uh, we have to be patient we have to be prayerful and uh, and but i be, i am optimistic because i do think um that we are uh, we are moving in the right direction that's great so how can people get involved how do we run with this vision and and make it something that that the ordinary person out there can participate in right i'm going to give you four p's first of all we we you know the number one thing we should always do is pray and prayer does make a difference and uh, and you know we should not just pray for christians who are being persecuted we should pray uh, for those others and we should pray um that um that Christians should um, actually uh, make a difference. So prayer is absolutely, but prayer is advocacy. Uh, you know, we've got to remember that. Um, the second thing is we need to protest. You know, we need to act and uh, and not rely on other people. Of course, CSW is protesting all the time. We, that's that's what we do. But we need we need people who are listening to this podcast. We need people in churches. And you know, actually, I was speaking. Um, I was speaking at a church on Sunday and they were, and, and in fact, it, it was a Mormon church I was speaking. It's the first time I've ever in 43 years spoken at a Mormon church, but they, they do speak up for international religious freedom or belief. And, uh, but, and they, one of the members of the congregation said to me, well, our church is really good at this. I said, it's no good your church being good at it. You've got to be good at it. Mm. Our churches are made up of individuals. And if we remain silent, we're complicit. In what in the persecution that's happening around the world, it's no good saying CSW is doing it. My church is doing it. We have to do it. We've all got a responsibility, and uh, and so protesting is really really important. Going onto the website uh, and your uh, website, I know is CSWUSA.org. That's correct. Uh, yeah, CSWUSA.org. Go on there. There'll be actions you can take. Maybe send an email to a president. Maybe write to your congressman or senator. You know, there are actions that we can take. But remaining silent is not an option. We have to act. So we pray. We protest. We provide. And you know, uh, one of the one of the things about an advocacy organisation is. And I've kind of touched on this. We don't see results every day. And, of course, donors, when they give to an organisation, they say, well, come on, tell me, what have you achieved in the last year? It's not always easy to measure and say what you've achieved in this kind of work. And so advocacy organisations traditionally are not funded as well as aid organisations, for example. But we we focus on 30 countries. We're only a small organisation. Uh, you know, we punch well above our weight at CSW. Here in the UK, I think we've got 40 employees. So tiny, but we 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 are listened to by governments around the world. Uh, but, you know, with more resources, we could do far more. We could, we could talk about another 30 countries and still have more to do. So so providing for organisations like, like CSW. But also you can provide, we've got a resource on the website called Connect and Encourage, and basically that's an address book. You can sit down and you can write a letter to a prisoner. You can send a card to the family of someone who's in prison or the family of someone who's been martyred or to a human rights defender in a country that's suffering. Um, you can do that. Very easy thing to do, but it makes such a difference. So pray, protest, provide. And the last thing is proclaim this. You know, we need to tell other people 
what is going on in the world. We need to tell other people what's happening in China, what's happening in India. And I've not gone into any of these things. There's so much we could have gone into. In Nigeria, you know, where where all of these countries where Christians and others are being persecuted, we need to be speaking up. So educate yourself by going onto the website, but also tell other people and tell them too. You know, and I think in America, you're probably a bit behind, not often behind us, but I think you're a bit behind us in the UK in, in the church understanding the importance of speaking up for people of all faiths. And I, I, I don't want to be tough here, but it really is key. You know, I, I just would say, ask yourself this question. If tomorrow or this Sunday um, a Muslim and a Christian came into your church and they were hungry, would you only feed the Christian? Mm. I hope not. And I don't think any of us would um, because we're human beings. But this is the same thing. We have to speak up for those. And so we need to educate. We need to. And God will bless us as we do this. And, and in fact, it's actually missional, Darren, when we when we do this, because people say, well, why would you speak up for why would you speak up for us? And we say, well, because that's what Jesus would do. And so we need to tell others, not just what the situation is in the world we need to tell them that they should be doing something about it so pray protest provide and proclaim this that's great thank you super clear you know merv as we start to wrap up here i'm just curious what is your theological foundation your scriptural foundation that guides your work and your advocacy could you just kind of share that with us in brief yeah, very quickly. I'd I pick probably three verses, uh, and one is from Hebrews 13, verse 3, that says, um, uh, remember those in prison as if you were in prison with them. Um, the second one is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26, that says uh, that we are all part of the body of Christ, and that when one part suffers, we all suffer. And see, the verse goes on to say that when, when one part is honoured, we all rejoice. Well, actually, we find that part really easy to do. Uh, but do we actually suffer with those that are suffering? So that's what we would aim to do. But I, I guess the the guiding uh, verses for me are in Hebrews, uh, sorry, in Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9, which I'm paraphrasing it because it's different in different versions, but it basically says that we are to speak up for those who are unable to speak for themselves. We're able to speak uh, against injustice. And so Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 will be the, the real thing that's in the back of my mind all the time that's what we need to do well merv with your passion i would like to ask you to kind of close this out here by praying for those facing injustice because of their religion or belief and i liked what you said earlier that that prayer is advocacy it reminded me of the scripture where it says that jesus lives to intercede for us before the father and and in first john it yep. says we have an advocate Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So he stands on our behalf. His prayer, his intercession is a form of advocacy. It is bringing the needs and the cares and the concerns to one who is more powerful and can do something uh, about that. And so would you pray so that we can pray with you and and pray in, in such a way that, that, that gives us sort of a model for how we can pray for those that are experiencing persecution or injustice as a result of their religion or belief. Okay, yes, of course, Darren. 
Heavenly Father, um, first of all, we give you thanks that we are living in countries where we have freedom. We have the basic freedom um, to to choose our religion, to change our religion, to practice our religion. And Lord, we do recognise that in um, in many free Western countries, there is discrimination um, against some faiths and particularly against Christians. But Lord, we thank you that basically we are free and, uh, and, and we are not persecuted for what we believe. We're not thrown into prison uh, or tortured or even martyred um, for what we believe. And yet, Lord, um, as we look around us, we see um, so many people that do not enjoy those same freedoms. And Lord, we think about Christians in Nigeria, who in this increasingly lawless nation, this huge, largest nation in Africa, Lord, which is actually hurtling towards being a failed state, which is which is absolutely unbelievable, uh, where half the population are Muslims, half the population are Christians. Lord, we pray that you would bring some peace and stability into that country. And we particularly think that in February of this year, 2022, uh, there will be um, elections um, in Nigeria. Lord, we pray that for a just and fair result there. Lord, we think of Christians and Muslims in India who are being attacked on a daily basis in that country uh, for what they believe. Lord, we think of Hindu and Christian girls in Pakistan who are being uh, raped and married off against their will uh, to, to, to Muslims. Lord, we think of the Uyghur Muslims in China, three million of them in concentrate in, in, in re-education camps, which are no more than concentration camps. Lord, we could go on. We think of Christians in Cuba. We think of Christians, uh, Lord, in Iran and, and, and other places. And Lord, we, uh, we pray uh, today, Lord, that you would, uh, Lord, that, that we particularly pray for organisations like the International Religious Freedom and Belief Alliance, where governments are coming together. Lord, we pray that you would help us to move from awareness to action so that we can begin to see change. Lord, we pray for young people, children in schools in, in many, many countries who are being taught that the person on the next desk is not as valuable as they are, as not as important as they are. Lord, we pray that education will be able to be rolled out in those countries, that young children will recognise uh, that person sitting next to them is a human being the same as them, have a family the same as them, uh, has feelings the same as them. Lord, we pray uh, that as, as young people begin to grow up, respecting one another lord and i believe uh, that that will begin to see change but help us uh, lord to be patient in that but help us to look to you always uh, lord uh, uh, to to lead us to guide us we recognize we can do none of this in our own strength but lord i pray above all today as we as we hear maybe some of us are hearing this for the first time lord i pray that you would put that burden on our hearts. Lord, I pray uh, that you would help us not to remain silent. Uh, Lord, help us not to be complicit in what's going on, but help us to speak out, help us to raise our voices, help us to stand up and say enough 
is enough. And uh, and Lord, I pray that you'd give us the power and the and the and the commitment to do that. And Lord, lastly, I would pray that Christians in our churches all over our country, Lord, should uh, uh, Lord should recognise how important it is to speak up for everyone and not just for people of our own kind. Help us to remember your story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus. Thank you uh, for reminding us that our neighbour, our neighbours are the whole world and help us to treat them as the same way as we treat one another because we ask it all in and through the precious and matchless holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Merv, thanks so much for being here, for who you are, for your work and the way that you've allowed yourself to be used as a vessel and a voice piece uh, for those that are experiencing persecution uh, and oppression because of their religion and belief. And um, may we listening carry that burden forward and may we do what we can in the ways that you outlined uh, to make this a work that we do corporately, collectively for a greater impact um, especially thinking about those right now around the world that, that need it most and that are suffering. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. Great to have you with us, Murph, for this first of our podcast. We've got a series ahead. We're going to be interviewing Scott Bauer, the CEO, the current CEO of CSW, and he's going to talk about where things are headed and um, how we can continue to partner with that. We've got um, others that are going to be talking about regions of the world, Asia, um, countries in Africa, and just how together uh, we can make a difference. Amen. All right. Thanks, Merv. Thanks so much for joining us today. We invite you to stand with us on behalf of those facing injustice because of their religion or belief. Go to our website, cswusa.org, and you can learn how you can make a difference for those suffering for their faith. Your voice matters. Use it.